and welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 80, and for this episode, we're getting super, and I mean super Castlevania 4 for the Super Nintendo and the Super Famicom. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and I got two incredible guests for this show, so incredible that they were actually live streaming this game not just a week ago, and that is, of course, coming back from... What was it? I mean, it must have been... Actually, I think you guys did back-to-back episodes. Uh, Jason Canham of Household Games. Jason, how are you? Oh, great, Kevin. Thanks for having me again. And back for the second week. I guess, yeah, it will still end up being the second week in a row. Now having uh, a week behind him with Alone With You coming out on the PlayStation Vita, the PlayStation 4, the fantastic Sony lineup of consoles. That is Benjamin Rivers. Thanks for having me. Does this does this mean there's an official second chair opening now? Um, I don't know. Like <laughs> this is this is the the show is an ever rotating uh, chair lineup. Like it is, it's really whoever I can rope into doing shows. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the cream of the crop. You get like the best guests talking about the best stuff. I, I listen to every episode at least twice. Well, that's that's what we like to hear, and that's why we should. I should do some kind of uh, like twenty four hour rental on these shows, so that way, you know, you get a, you get a pay to come back again. But that's you know, that's not how we roll. We like to give you guys great uh, free content. This is basically the, um, you know, it's just it's it's just really great to be able to do this for for everyone that loves retro games, and hopefully, you guys love tuning in every single week. But this is. To preface, a couple things. Um, one, we get a great Patreon segment after the credits of this show. If you are a Patreon supporter, still listen after the music because we got like 20 minutes of awesome stuff on indie game, uh, indie dev, indie game development, I probably should say. Um, talking about Toronto and retro game shopping in there. Also, Game Maker stuff. And also talking about the top secret project that I bought all this or much of this, one of the reasons I bought all this video equipment for. Uh, So stay tuned for all that top secret stuff for the Patreon supporters for helping me produce this show whenever I'm able to produce them. So if you aren't a Patreon supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash back in my play. You can start supporting the show at just a dollar per episode. That's going to get you access to usually the shows coming out a couple hours early and also any kind of extra content from here on out. Or previously, you will get access to that old content as well, which includes a bunch of extra segments at the end of shows, which you can go back and listen to as well. You get your own RSS feed. It's a really nice, neat package. That also includes Game Club, guys. I'm putting together Game Club with Chrono Trigger. Uh, Details should be out on that soon. I'm trying to get everything together to make sure that it is a great experience for everyone, uh, but the initial details are out to Patreons about that. So make sure you have your DS or your SNES copy of Chrono Trigger. Stay away from that PS1 version. It's just not going to be the optimal experience for you folks. And then finally, I mentioned it previously, but uh, it is great to get these guys on the show because I'll be heading up to Toronto in about two weeks to do uh, that secret project stuff. So again, if you're a Patreon, stick around or you'll hear about that in a week or two, I guess, something like that. But like I said, we're here to talk about Super Castlevania 4, a game that I've talked about doing about doing for like two or three years now. And finally, we have done it. It is completed. The, the game is ready to go. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back with the history of Super Castlevania 4. Stick around.
So let's talk about the history of Super Castlevania 4. This is a very interesting game, uh, even more so for us here in North America, because it came out on December 4th, 1991, right in the launch holiday of the Super Nintendo here in North America. It came out a couple months earlier, just like six weeks earlier, five weeks earlier, on October 31st, 1991 in Japan. Of course, this game was developed and published by Konami. This is coming off of the heels of four great Castlevania games. Uh, Excuse me, no, this is uh, coming after Castlevania 3 because in between super, excuse me, I'm messing up all my timeline stuff now, but you guys remember that game, Rondo of Blood, potentially the best Castlevania game of all time? It's pretty, it's definitely the most expensive (laughs) it's the most expensive but oddly enough it actually came out two years after super castlevania so this is what was coming up after castlevania 3 on the famicom and of course on the nes as well but i don't know maybe we'll have that debate at the end of the show totally oh sure let's do that i will do the ranking of castlevanias because well i'm not going to spoil any of that discussion we'll get into it in a second so uh the director for this game uh was mashihiro ueno uh composers were uh masanori adachi uh also did music for contra 3 snatcher and I I really do like Russian Attack. I think that's a super underrated game that people should talk about. Maybe I'll do an episode on Russian Attack soon. Seriously, we got some <laughs> Russian Attack fans on the show right now, guys. Uh, I had I rented it. I remember renting it, <laughs> having no clue what I was doing. Granted, that was most games that you rented as a kid too. Just had a uh, knife, man. You just had a knife, and just going. Oh, I don't. This is like insanely hardcore, and that's all I remember. I just remember being, just being completely overwhelmed jason could probably beat it in like six minutes no I, I'm, I'm not terribly good at it no i'm i'm not uh i'm not great at same kind of thing i think i played it too young and i played it before i fully understood it and i haven't i haven't revisited it oh, i man. think i'm due for oh, a revisit we should do russian attack for game club hell yeah okay yeah like that is also a possibility too but this is like russian attack i we're not going to do russian attack you know side discussion right now but all i will say <laughs> is that as someone that owned a play choice 10 multiple play choice 10s um that was one of the games that i had in my lineup so of course when you have 10 games in a play choice 10 like you're gonna play the crap out of whatever you got in there and i ended up playing a ton of russian attack great music really cool game you pick up that rpg and you you fire like four rockets of people and it will just like (laughs) kill everyone like it keeps going it doesn't stop when it hits someone it goes through them and kills everyone that is in its path so that yeah, that's sorry. That's just like a, a really great also, also a Konami game. But um, so yeah, obviously Snatcher is pretty good. Contra Three is pretty good. Um, some pretty good lineup for the music, and also uh, teaming up was also Taro Kundo, uh, Kudo, and the. This is an interesting kind of lineup of people working on this game because they didn't. They weren't like the all stars of Konami, or they weren't like even the all stars of of the industry. But they ended up working on some incredible games, but just didn't like continue to work on incredible games. They either worked on a couple, you know, smaller titles, or just disappeared in, entirely, which I guess happened in Japan a little bit. The soundtrack itself was released on Akamajo Dracula Best Two in a compilation with Castlevania: The Adventure, Castlevania Two, Belmont's Revenge, both of those on the Game Boy. And this is a great two-disc 
uh, soundtrack that you can pick up from Amazon Japan. I'm very happy to own it because not only does it have Super Castlevania 4 on it, it has the better soundtrack, which is Castlevania 2 Balmond's Revenge oh, for yeah. the Game Boy. I'm telling you, you want to, you guys want some good music? You go back to episode whatever it was when I do Castlevania 2 with Kirk Collada. Oh, so good. Oh, I know. Absolutely. And I have, uh, when I, the first time I went to Japan, I bought a Japanese version of Symphony of the Night for PlayStation, uh, which comes with the art book and also comes with the soundtrack uh, that has the Castlevania 4 suite on it. Mm. And it has all the other games as sort of like single track suites, including like Kid Dracula stuff and, and whatnot. So. Uh, that was the first time I actually got to hear a bunch of uh, some of the game's music outside the context of the games. Uh, speaking of Kid Dracula, I was supposed to do an episode <laughs> on that. Um, I don't know if I ta- ended up talking about this like on a recording, but that episode's not happening because I don't like that game. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a pretty fun episode, though. I have, I think I may have played somebody's copy once. It's just like, but that's it. I've, I have no real history with it. What about you, Jason? Uh, it's it's for me. It's it's a little bit more uh, like a Mega Man game in terms of feel. Totally, uh, totally. So that's why I kind of gravitated toward it a little bit. And I'm also just in love with the fact that it's a canonical Castlevania. Game. <laughs> right, right. That is true. Yeah, like that's that's what endears me to that game. Okay, yeah. It's I mean it's it's okay, but like when I was playing through it, I was like, uh, Kurt, like I just need to. I like, I just, I, I, I don't want to do shows like I need, when I do this show, you guys know, like I need to do show like games that I absolutely love because it's not going to be a fun show. If I'm just like, yeah, I mean, it was okay. Um, that was a good level and the music was okay and the action was okay, but I wish I was right. playing Castlevania three. Um, that's not a fun show for anyone. So along with doing some research for this, uh, I was able to find a promo video. Like I was looking, I always like to look for commercials of these games and I ended up finding a promo video, which seems to be like early footage of the game. Like some of the, the areas aren't complete, like the graphics clearly are not done. And um, it is a promo video to say like, hey, like this great Super Castlevania game and, you know, Simon Belmont must go defeat Dracula again in Super Castlevania 4. Um, but I don't know if, if either of you guys got to check that out, if you saw anything that like really stood out for you in that footage. I'll try to put it in the show notes as well for the audience listening. Oh, yeah. I hope I hope you do, because we were just blown away by this. I had never seen that before. Neither of us had. Yeah. And we were actually debating uh, the timeline of this and trying to figure out uh, what this meant. And so our theory is that that is a promo video for retailers. Right. Because it basically looks like alpha footage. No, no. Like the start screen looks like it's like an NES and it says just Castlevania 4. Yeah, we were pointing out all sorts of stuff and we were like, well, this seems really weird because this is so early. Like why would why would this ever get sent to a retailer? But of course, timelines for Super NES games, especially that in the initial era, were so much shorter than timelines for games today. So what did we figure out? It was probably submitted, what, nine like six to nine months before release yeah. because the, 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 the development time would have only been like a, just about a year or so. Yeah. I think the development time was about 12 months. Yeah. So that was probably like a literal alpha, like first playable of, of the game submitted for while they were doing the push for SNES stuff and things like that. And then of course the rest of the game, is just like so much more amazing than what they showed. Well, especially like with the the narrator talking like Super, Super Castlevania Four. Oh, actually, let me see. Well, my really, this is my non-existent. My 
I'm putting my microphone up to my computer speaker. Hold on. Let's see if we can <laughs> do so, this. It's so good. The video's the best. Castlevania 4 for the Super NES finds the evil Count Dracula back to terrorize the Belmont family yet again. Armed with a whip, a quick mind, and even quicker reflexes, you must battle boss characters and evil enemies through a myriad of the most complex stages ever created. Select your stage and let the adventure begin. Enter stage one and battle across a bridge, through a room, and a stable. Beware of the Medusa heads. Scott. How exciting does that sound? Battle across a bridge and into a room. It's like, so what? great. Like he's just reading generic, like generic video game excitement text, and he's just trying to make it sound as like amazing as possible. But that's it, true. It, it it has it has flavor. It has a bit of personality. But what strikes me is how so matter of fact it is. Yeah. Like that's not the stuff to win the kids over. That's the stuff to get the store the owners to buy right. their copies. Yeah, for sure. Like this is the next generation of Castlevania action, and yeah, it, it is. It, it is just weird to look at how it just looks so unfinished. It looks so rough. And it's a, yeah, it's amazing because all the uh, like there are some general ideas that eventually made it into the game, but it was obvious that this was like to test out. Hey, can we do slopes with the water running down it? Like from the from one of the stages? Is this? Uh, let let's see how the items work. You know, this yeah. is, totally looks like a first playable to me. It looks yeah. like an NES game. Yeah, it, well, it's weird because the video quality is so is so low on YouTube. Um, but I so desperately want to see like a direct feed of that to see what that actually looks like because it looks really stiff and and the video also washes us out. So yeah, assuming yeah. it's not sort of as vibrant as Supercast Twenty Four really is, but it is. It's actually like I think for both Jason and I, the game is such a high watermark, especially in terms of visuals. It's actually so weird to see it so early. Like I've never seen oh, it in yeah. that state ever before. Well, let's uh, we'll have to make some phone calls and see if um, you know, like call the usual suspects, call Frank Stefaldi and see if he has like a, a you know a good like a SVHS copy of that thing. Or oh man, Betamax. S- SVHS, nice, nice, yeah. yeah. I got a lot of deep cuts. I was bringing up who shot Johnny Rock on Player One yesterday. So I heard that. That's so good. Which you guys at least know what that is, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, thank God. Jeez, those guys didn't have CD-ROM drives. Um, so uh, a couple other development note things. And yeah, it is totally worth and going looking for that early footage. If for some reason you're not wanting to go to the website, just go to YouTube and type in Super Castlevania 4 commercial. It will pop right up as the first thing. Or it might be the Japanese commercial first. That Just go to the one that's not in Japanese. Um, so, again, uh, Super Castlevania 4 was directed by uh, Mashihiro Ueno, uh, credited in the game as Jun Furano, since Konami did not allow the use of real names at the time. Still, in 1991, like this was not just a, you know... Capcom was infamous for it with the Mega Man games as well. Right. But I guess, yeah, if you think 1991, they were still using uh, like different names for, for the developers to make sure that they weren't stolen. Go check out Digging in the Carts to get some good reference material for how crazy that was still into like the Street Fighter 2 um, yeah. era things. Um, Wait, fr- sorry, go ahead. Konami was being weird about their developers? Not cool. <laughs> oh, never- you know, you wouldn't think so. Uh, the, weird. The, I think like this is it should probably all these guys that were making like and all these men and women that were making great games are probably we don't hear them anymore because they're making pachinko uh, parlor games and stuff. They've been locked in the pachinko 
mines. Factory dungeon. <laughs> the yeah, pachinko mines. Pachinko they're not allowed mines. out. That's why I want to see. I want to see if like Japan has like an indie pachinko market, like indie <laughs> game dev- devs of go check out the next Bit Summit to see if they have them there. Um, so anyways, uh, this was his first 16-bit game. Uh, his team possibly started development on it during 1989, which might show why it kind of looks like an NES game at the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ueno liked uh, the original Castlevania for the NES the most and wanted to make a pure action game that was similar to it. Uh, he only considered Super Castlevania 4 a remake of the original Castlevania to some extent. Many features in Super Castlevania 4 were introduced to make it a less frustrating game for players. I'm going to call you out on that in a couple minutes, um, such as giving them more control over Simon when he walked upstairs. I mean, he can walk backwards, so that's pretty cool. And also, the the game itself got pretty good reviews. It has an 82% on game rankings, and, like, you go to the usual suspects at the time. Uh, like, Nintendo Power, give it a... Gotta love their rating system. 4.375. I remember that. Out of 5. <laughs> um, yeah, I wish Sessler could do that. Uh, <laughs> also... IGN like re-reviewed it when it came out on a virtual console, giving it eight out of ten. Uh, GamePro magazine gave it a perfect score back in the day. I remember that reading that review. Lots of red faces, all exploding heads, all exploding five, heads. <laughs> five, uh, you know, electric chair faces out of yeah. five. And <laughs> the uh, yeah, the game was obviously really well received, and it was a huge seller because when you go and pick up that Super Nintendo, you didn't have a great. You know, you actually had a pretty decent lineup. You had your Super Mario World, which was packed in, your F Zeros. You had Home Alone, which is a great, not, not, a, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but also, you, you did have like Super Castlevania 4. They had ended up towards the end of the, or towards the holiday, actually a really decent lineup of games on the Super Nintendo and Super Castlevania 4 was absolutely at the, at the front of that. And it yeah. deserves it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, we were talking about this before. I mean, I just like that. Like, we should talk about where, where our, our first experience with Super Castlevania 4 is. We will. We will do that in just a moment when we get to the next segment. One Ooh, omission. I'm jumping the gun, jumping the gun. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I, I keep this ship uh, running well. So, the, the last thing I wanted to check out real quick is kind of seeing the, like, I looked at the back of the boxes of the actual Super NES console. I've got, that's something that I was poking around with as, I was putting together the 25th anniversary of uh, Super Nintendo content. And unfortunately, it does not like, uh, it was not on the back of the box of the launch console. Like sometimes you would put games on there that weren't necessarily out, but it would be like, hey, this is what you have to look forward to. And they still put Link to the Past on there, but no Super Castlevania 4. Maybe that wasn't wasn't kid-friendly enough for the the audience they were trying to to get. That's that's actually a really good point because remember the controversy that happened with the second issue of Nintendo Power with the Dracula severed Dracula head. Maybe right. Nintendo of America just said no more, no more Dracula. <laughs> but I mean, they make up for it with like Castlevania Four having arguably the best box art on the Super Nintendo. Like it is just badass, like super rad box art that is like that should just like it could have said you know dumb whip game on the front and people would have still <laughs> bought it because it looks so so rad um totally true i'm so glad you brought that up because we were actually looking up uh the box art because i think uh, i think super Castlevania 4 especially is one of the rare examples 
where the North American box art's way better than the Japanese box art. Oh yeah, the like the dude just I mean, like holding the like whip up and all that crap behind him and the the Japanese one is terrible. Yeah, so um the artist who did it was Tom Dubois who did all of uh Konami's stuff for a time. He did uh Contra Three, uh Sunset Riders, Shit. Uh, Rocket Rocket Knight. Damn. Uh, and he did stuff as well as in the NES era as well. Um, where is so, he? Uh you know that I don't know. I uh, he I think somebody has done a feature or mentioned him before. Maybe Jeremy Parrish talked about him uh, before. Uh, Jeremy got to him first. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's just one of those unsung heroes of like childhood memories for those games because they were the those were the boxes that you would see in the store. And if you know you weren't as knowledgeable mm-hmm. uh, because obviously we didn't have the internet, um, you again, how could you not look at Castlevania 4's box and not just say, "Holy crap! Whatever this is, I want it." Like, what was please. his name again? Tom Dubois. Okay, I'm gonna see because if he did, uh, if he did an, uh, an interview with um, like Jeremy or something like that, I will link to that in the show notes. And I'm finding a couple of interviews with him via wow. There's an actual website dev- like devoted to box art. Mm-hmm. Box. He did, he did the Turtles in Time box art as well. All that stuff. Wow. Oh, my God. He also did, like, Snake's Revenge, Top Blades of Friggin' Steel. Holy smokes. Yeah. He basically was Konami's go-to. Like, how much money did that guy make? Like, yeah. that's And also, his, but his style wasn't uh, wasn't easy to reproduce. So that dude, dude probably has some pretty bad carpal tunnel by now from all those, like, intense paintings. All right. I'm going to find him. <laughs> um, Excellent. Because, yep. you know, the, the, the good thing is, like, you know, not everyone listens to Retronauts. You should. But not everyone does. So just in case, I'm going to uh, see if I can track him down. And that would be a cool interview for the show. All right. Thank you for that. Um, All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Here's some more music from Super Castlevania 4. Then we're going to talk about our personal memories of the game when we get back in just a minute. Stick around. So we're going back all the way to 1991. The Super Nintendo is out. 16-bit gaming has arrived. I know, Sega, you were already here, but let's just be real. We needed some more colors, and we needed an even better, I I know, a better sound chip. I know, I know, guys. There's a great episode about Sega Genesis music. Go back and listen to that. Trust me, I still love it just as much. It's just a little bit different and better. So... In 1991, again, we we have uh, a really cool era of video games because you know 16-bit gaming is here, and with that becomes a lot more possibilities for developers. And you know, it is not too different than what it's like today. Like when we got that transition over to the PS4 and Xbox One, we just got kind of a lot of the same types of games, but just a little bit better looking, usually, or a little bit better running. And that is kind of the deal of what we got with. 
Super Castlevania Four. I guess you could look back on that and think of it that way. But uh, Jason, let's let's start with you. I'm kind of curious. Like, when like did you first see Castlevania Four? Did you get it at at launch or, or or near its initial release? I did originally play it at launch, um, and I know that I knew about it in advance, and I know that was because of Nintendo Power, and it was about reading their preview for it. And was already a big fan of Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the Christmas before, I believe it was, um, <clears throat> was our Christmas of threes. Because we got, for the same Christmas, me and my brother got Super Mario Brothers 3, Whoa. Castlevania 3, and Mega Man 3. Whoa. That was our Christmas. Holy our crap. Christmas. And um, so we had a lot of fun with all that. And yeah, we were in love with threes, but yeah, so we were just coming off having played months and months of Castlevania three. So we were really, really excited. And of course we were excited for the super Nintendo. And of course we knew Castlevania four was coming out in the Christmas window. So we were probably going to get it for Christmas. We, we were, we were asking for it. We were, we fingers crossed and sure enough we did. So I naturally didn't play it on launch day because I did get it for Christmas. So did you, did you like have this lined up as this is like, I don't care about anything else. Just make sure Super Castlevania 4 mm. is, is in those, like that pile of presents. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely number one because uh, we did have Super Mario World. And I think we were, actually, I think that's all we got uh, with it at launch because it, it was packed in. We got just the console of Super Mario World. So the first question of like, what other game would you like to get for a gift? Mm-hmm. It was yeah, pointing to the page in the magazine like this is the one. Um, so we were we were really looking forward to it and remember playing it on Christmas. And one thing that I thought was a really nice touch. I mean, it worked out perfectly for me. I don't know for how many people it worked out, but after the Wii came out in 2006 when it launched, um, Super Castlevania Four came out on Christmas Day 2006 on Virtual Console. Oh really? That's so awesome. I was totally reliving Castlevania Christmas. That's great. That's a that's a pretty good connection. That's like remember those days when the virtual console was like awesome. <laughs> oh, this, is, this is a dark path, Kevin. Let's not go down. <laughs> so good, yeah. No, you're, I, I won't go down that path. Um, but yeah, like that's that's always like a cool thing to do. I, I used to always, you know, whether it be the Toys R Us catalog or this year's catalog, like just circle and rank things. Like, all right, here's the number one thing. Here's number two. Like, this is, you know. In the list of priority, these are the things that I need to the point where I would also cut them out and I would make like, I would glue them to, I would almost make like a EGM buyer's guide for my parents to say, this is what Christmas should look like. Oh, sure. Do yeah. your best. Like, <laughs> do your best to get this. I know we do, we're actually a like lower middle uh, income family, but middle class family. Let's see, let's see what you guys can pull together. And let's uh, make it happen. Uh, Benjamin, how about for you? Was this something that you, you were able to get that December? No, my parents didn't love me nearly as much as Jason's did. That's a <laughs> um, I got my Super NES on the following summer. It was the first game console I purchased my own money uh, with uh, my very first job. So I did that. And I played the game uh, by renting the console for my birthday, which was April uh, before that summer. And one of the games you rented was Super Castlevania 4, and that was the one we played the most. And I mm-hmm. remember just kind of just 
not understanding. It just didn't make sense. It's like all great lots of games when you just can't comprehend. You just say there's no there's no way anything's going to look any better. Like this is impossible. This is all magic and trickery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, getting being able to get like at least as far as seeing some of like the cool mode seven stuff eventually, and just and just the it, it made that gap between renting a Super NES and actually getting to own one like the worst thing in the world. That's all I could think about, and that's why you know I got the job and worked towards it because <laughs> it's like, oh man, I got to go back in that mode seven corridor again. <laughs> I need to see these the crazy spinning room. So it was a it was a long way. I never owned Supercast Mini four. Not once. We like we didn't like most folks in those days. Like didn't have a lot of money for games. You right. Got a couple games a year, maybe, and the rest was rentals. So I remember repeatedly renting it, but never beating it. Never played it enough. Uh, the first time I beat it was on was on Virtual Console actually. Really? Yeah. It was like it was not available or whatever when I was a kid. Or I guess like maybe maybe the people I was hoping to play it with weren't around. So. Mm-hmm. I just said, okay, well, whatever. I'll just try something else this time. Uh, so for me, like getting to play it on Virtual Console was um, less like coming home and more like fulfilling a promise, mm-hmm. <laughs> a promise to the Belmont family. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, it, it's cool to hear you guys talk about this a little bit because it, it almost brings up, you know, my own memories of. It's like almost if you couldn't get the game, it's, it's no problem. Like there's another game that's going to be coming out, or there's your opportunity to go and, and rent something this weekend. If you can talk your, if, like your parents, like for me, it was always, my parents are going to rent a movie because they want to watch a movie or my brother or sister want a movie. For me, it was all about getting, renting a game. Like I don't care about you guys renting inner space or something like that. It's a great movie, <laughs> but I just want to be able to, you know, play a new, a new video game for two nights. Like it's a two day rental or two night rental. So, um, that, that always at least made me feel better when, they would always say, yeah, we can't afford this or we can't buy this, but we're going to make a little bit of a compromise and we're going to at least go out and we're going to let you pick a game up. And sometimes you get last action hero and, and sometimes <laughs> you you find something like just that, that kind of blows your socks off like Sunset Riders or something like that. So it's always fun to, to roll the dice. It's not something that we get to do much. You guys miss like, I mean, I think that's something we all kind of share. Like it's, it's, it's weird to almost miss this, but to miss not knowing about games until you just saw it on the shelf. Like now I feel like there's a, you know, multiple news stories about a game. There's previews. There's like, even I somehow are on a list for like PR for getting like games for some reason. Like, I feel like they just like go to every game website and they just find the email address and say, Hey, would you like to review this game that we have coming out or this soundtrack that we have coming out? Um, but you, I don't know, like Jason, if you miss that at all. I definitely do because you do, yeah, you do miss out on that kind of surprise and it doesn't happen much anymore. And that's just due to like the way the industry has kind of evolved. Um, Like I personally think that that's largely due to, I mean, everyone's made the observation the last, you know, two decades that games have tried to move closer to film. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always happening all the time. I mean, it's absolutely prevalent with AAA games and then like, you know, now we have the indie movement that's kind of countering that, but because it's so hard, like there's never a movie that comes out that <laughs> and, and that, like the average person didn't hear about. Right. Um, and just like, yeah, games nowadays, the way they get reported on, the way they get previewed and how it's so much important to the lifespan of the game that like, yeah, just the game itself doesn't stand on its own. It's how well does it preview? How well does it show? Mm-hmm. You know, we have that whole hype machine in place. Oh, so yeah. 
For sure. And I mean, I guess that's a combination of there just wasn't as many outlets back in the day. I mean, there wasn't websites. You know, you had to have magazines covered. Sure. There's only so many magazines with only so much staff um, and only so many events, too. I mean, back yeah. in those days, there was like one event. There wasn't even E3 yet because there was just like CES, I guess. Yeah. Right? And, and the best you would, I mean, the only way you knew about that was reading about it in EGM or Nintendo or, or, or Nintendo Power or Game Pro or whatever and just reading whatever they were able to fit in the pages to to say that it was cool. Um, like to me, renting games was always like almost always like rolling the dice because I would know a bunch of stuff from Nintendo Power and things. But that's be true. Some, that's there'd true. be something I would see in like uh, like the next wave section of EGM or in the tips and tricks section of GamePro mm-hmm. in SWAT in SWAT the SWAT section of GamePro. Oh yeah, uh, and you'd see that they had posted a code for something. I'm like, oh, I remember reading a code for this. Like at least I guess if I rent it, at least I'll know how to get. Blue hair and hell yeah, two, that's or? that's why I totally saved all those magazines because you bet your ass. Like if I rented a game or got a new game, I was going through all those back issues of Game Pro and Nintendo Power and looking for codes. Yeah, well, especially because if you have a rental for two days, sometimes at some point on like day one point five, you're thinking, <laughs> like I just want to beat it. Well, yeah, what do I do? Can I? Yeah, is there an option here? Is there like a like how do how do we where's the nuclear option on this game? <laughs> how quickly can I get access to the like? Unfortunately, you can't just order the player's guide. Man, I remember I got I ordered like the Link's Awakening player's guide because I got stuck in that second stupid dungeon. Because <laughs> you have to like kill three enemies in a certain order, and I just never I didn't I didn't know that, and also I was what I was uh, eight or nine. So, anyways, that took like two months to get to my house. That was a dreadful two months to wait for that friggin' strategy guide um anyways i don't know how the hell we got there but yeah i think it is the, the maybe the last thing to say is like yeah you can't just like leave money on the table and say hey we're gonna surprise people with a game like you kind of need to do the business thing and try to be successful i guess yeah and one thing too that you just kind of reminded me of that's kind of different from today nowadays even after a game launches that's still a critical time for the game there's a ton of follow-up whereas i kind of feel in the past, like there was a lot of lead up to Super Castlevania 4 mm-hmm. and other games of the time. So there'd be a ton of like reading about it, getting psyched about it. But then once you had it, it's like I didn't I didn't care anymore. I had mm-hmm. it, it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. But they also they weren't really reporting sales data. That wasn't kind of what Yeah, it was less than everything was less invasive. We just didn't know as much. And at that point you I mean, there also wasn't like a million new games coming out on a storefront. So yeah. you had Super Castlevania 4, you you knew that you had you had chosen well. And you were not really going to worry about anything else for a while because yeah. there was some room to breathe, and also you just wanted to, you just wanted to focus. It's the fourth one; it has to be good. Like they don't, <laughs> you can't says, get, you can't, you can't get to four without, and they even put super in front of it. Like it, it is says not super, yeah. I know, like the letters are so big, the typography is so <laughs> bold. There's no way it's not going to be badass. Man, I'm just I'm going into this outline. I'm making that box art bigger so I can look at it while we're talking. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, outside of of that, I mean, my 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 brief stuff with this game is is again when it, when I kind of got into it was I, I totally missed. I mostly missed Castlevania back when the games were renew, and I never like got into Castlevania, I believe until maybe like early 2000 or something like that. When I started rediscovering some of this stuff through, through emulation and 
just it's never a good place to play these games because it's not it's a cheapened experience you get you have like a folder of a thousand games if you die once or twice you're like screw this i'm gonna go play something else and it wasn't a good environment to really experience what made these games in this franchise so special so um i was oddly enough like playing just every other konami game though to to just a ridiculous uh, amount and i it was one of those companies that i knew was a stamp of high quality like that was a mark that I actually looked for um and another reason was is i really like the you know when the konami logo shows up like yeah. i loved i don't know why like i love that song. i still love it today and like that was just something oh it's another konami game i'm gonna totally go pick it up and and see what happens but yeah this was a game for my again 1991 i was a whole five years old so it was a little bit too difficult for for me at that time i think it this yeah the thing i think what i don't know if we want to just jump into this now like jason and i have very different we have very different entry points to this game and the way we think about it is very different which is makes it interesting for the two of us to play together because we're both looking at completely separate things right while playing the game and he can speak more to the difficulty and sort of mechanics and i i tend to think more about like all the aesthetic stuff uh and some of the weird like all the art detailings and some of the weird changes between like the japanese version the u.s version and all that kind of stuff but there's a whole lot of weird detail that goes into this game that was very interesting to see come especially coming off of castlevania 3 which is just a whole different kind of beast mm-hmm. well, um, that, well maybe this is a, a good question to pose to you guys like jason like coming off like you're uh you know this is a good thing to bring up it's just like Going from from three to four, were you impressed by the the improvements? Was it a at in like nineteen ninety one? Was it a better game than what had come previously in the series? Was it the best game in the series? Oh sure, um, yeah, I can I can speak to that. I can I'm ready for a deep dive into mechanics and that. I, I would Sweet. love to talk about that in more I, detail. Well, I guess like I, I guess in the sense, if you can go back in time to yourself in nineteen ninety one, did you think that back then too? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, Castlevania 4, Super Castlevania 4, immediately, on by the time I was finished, the first level in that game was my new favorite Castlevania game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I will say, like, I'll, I'll, we'll definitely talk about that period, but like, right. and this many years later, it's still my favorite Castlevania game. All right. Absolutely. It's my number one favorite, like, uh, and that's not a popular opinion, especially as many great Castlevania games have come out since, but I'm a Super Castlevania 4 for me is more true to Castlevania than even Symphony of the Night is. Oh, I'm I'm stretching out. I'm getting ready to go fight you on that. Um so, <laughs> I don't know glad, gladly like it's a discussion worth having. Totally. Um, um and and like you know again kind of like the same thing Ben for for you did you kind of did you see that it was just you know heads and shoulders above the NES games when you played it back then or were you just wowed by this is 16-bit Castlevania. This is great. Yeah, for me it was uh the thing I like was like Castlevania 3 was so big and it was so complex, you know, the multiple characters, multiple paths. Also, you know, the North America version was just overly difficult, just t- tuned to the max to be super hard. That's true. That's um, true. And it definitely had its own style, but it definitely was, you know, obviously an NES game. And when I got to first play Super Castlevania 4, I noticed how uh, restrained it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, the intro, the whole intro to it, the intro stage is pretty great, but uh, but it just didn't feel like... It didn't feel big, but it felt deeper. 
Right. Uh, because suddenly the music was not just like awesome music that was playing while you were whipping, you know, ghosts and whatnot. It was uh, almost orchestrated and timed and a little bit paced uh, with the levels and the variety was a little bit uh, greater. And then the way the backgrounds moved and the way they sort of led you through an almost cine- like cinema, what's the word I'm looking for? Cinematic way mm-hmm. through the, the intro stages. Like the presentation was very different. It didn't just feel like another Castlevania game. It felt like a, it felt like a different director taking on a franchise. So that was really interesting to me because, you know, after playing 1, 2, and 3 uh, to, to various degrees, it was neat to see that you could still have a game in the series that ends up just feeling true yet completely different. You know, it had its own heart. And that's the thing I noticed the most. That's a great way to put it. As I boot the game up so we can talk about it, uh, we will take a quick break and then we will be going back to the future and talking about how this game holds up today, the mechanics, how it holds up against all the other games in the franchise and my thoughts as someone that played through it for the first time. We'll be right back. Okay, we made it all the way back to 2016. I just booted up my Super Famicom. It's hooked up to my Commodore. My Commodore, what is it? 1702 CRT monitor, and the colors look great. I'm pressing start. And right now, Simon Belmont pulls his whip out. He steps through the gates to go to Castlevania, I guess Dracula's castle. So, um, as I mentioned before, like this is the first time that I've really played all the way through this game. I've played a couple levels before, even since I've owned the cart, like picking it up in Japan. Uh, for some reason, I just have the Japanese version, but the, the the game itself actually never really grabbed me. And that's part of the reason why I want to do this episode is it's almost an excuse for me to play through all these games that I never really give a fair shot. It forces me to get over the humps of difficulty and just give it a little bit more effort so we can talk about it. So before I do that though, um, Jason, let's, I want you to pull out, uh, the, the podium and I want you to, to give us a lesson on what makes this game so great. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, it goes right back to, as you mentioned in the previous segment, uh, the biggest thing about this game and what's brilliant about it to me and why it's held up so well after all these years is the fact that the mission statement of the director, uh, Masahiro Ueno, that as he said himself, he said the goal was to remake the original Castlevania in a way that's less friend, uh, less frustrating and more user-friendly. And to me, that's exactly what Super Castlevania is. It's a much more user-friendly uh, Castlevania game, and that's what I love about it. It gives you the most movement options of just about any Castlevania game up to that point, and it gives you the most combat options. It gives you the most tools at your disposal to be able to fight through Castlevania games because the original three Castlevania games were very rigid. Mm-hmm. They're For good sure. games. They're excellent games, 
but they're very rigid in their rule set and they're very rigid in how you need to approach things. You have a defined jump arc. Once you hit that jump button, you're going to land where <laughs> you already know where you're going to land. And right. like everyone I see play Castlevania, whenever you watch them, you'll watch them play, you'll watch them walk to an edge, you'll hear the click of the A button in the NES controller and you'll just hear them go, oh, shoot. <laughs> and you know, yep, no, not <laughs> making that <laughs> jump. <laughs> you know when you start your jump that you did it wrong. Whereas Super Castlevania 4 gave you air control. And as a designer myself and as a platformer designer, air control is my favorite thing in the world. Um, I, I, I much prefer give the player like after they've left the ground, let them do whatever they want. Let them control where they're going to land. Let them make those minor adjustments mid jump. And that's what I love about Super Castlevania 4 is it lets you make those tiny little adjustments mid jump as well. Even like mid whip. And there's so much you can do. You can jump up to the right and whip down left. You have full control of the entire space. Nothing can attack you from any direction that you can't counterattack and fight back. There's like a, it's like the first Castlevania that actually lets you have different play styles, like majorly because you can see people who never use the, like the eight way whip or like sort of like messing around with the limp whip. You see people who play it more like a standard Castlevania. You see people who like uh, spam the items more and know how to use that really well. Uh, but it's the first Castlevania game where it wasn't just like Jason says, like seeing the invisible spots where you have to jump to to sort of match this specific rhythm that this game has in order to to make you know make your attacks make your moves. But rather, you could see people totally improvise. And even like I was playing it today before we recorded, and I was doing stuff in one of the later levels I'd never done before because I kind of forgot. Oh yeah, wait, you can do air control plus limp whip and just kind of mess around and I. I did some great sort of like save myself at the last minute uh, situations. And I realized, oh, yeah, that's, you know, I just remember Castlevania 3 just swearing and swearing endlessly at exactly what Jason said. And this is the first time where you could you could approach a situation, try something, realize it didn't work and then have backup strategies and go, oh, wait, like there is there are other options here. It's not just. Walk with leaden feet <laughs> and press B at the right time. Wait, you you tell me you didn't have your parents import Akamujo Densetsu? They didn't. I know. Get the Famicom version for you. I know. Like I said, they didn't love me. <laughs> oh, but you know it happens. Uh, so when with you, you guys are right on a lot of points. Like right off the bat, like you get to play the game and you get to see. Oh my God, I can like whip eight ways. Like I could jump and whip down if i wanted to i can hit all these enemies that in previous games i weren't able to hit before automatically better game great awesome better mechanics you mentioned the the control of of the jumping and stuff awesome that's super great also they do the cool like even in the first areas you're kind of going through the garden before you get into the castle the the super mario world of you know going and, and punching through the gate and going to the other side of the gate and having like almost different uh, I guess you would use uh, like what is it, Fatal Fury, which is, you can has like kind of two different planes that you can play on. Only in that part, and and this is something that will come up a bunch. Like this game has lots of just one offs. Like we're just oh, yeah. gonna do this thing once, like that in the garden, or like you guys have mentioned, like we're gonna use some of the the mode seven or the modes or the special stuff on the the CPU and the graphics chip to have a, a rotating room. Like that's something we're just, we're just going to do it for this area though. And we're going to make it special. And that's, that's super cool that they do that. And now so introduce the mechanic of not only the, the limp whip, but also using your whip as like Indiana Jones would 
throwing it to an attachment, like a grapple attachment, and using it yeah. to swing back and forth, which is a ton of fun. Like, if you played, like, Bionic Commando had some decent shooting and action in it, but it was fun because of the, the grapple and the swinging. You just felt like a badass swinging from thing to thing. And this definitely is the case. Just, you know, starting the show with a showstopper in this first stage, showing you all these great new mechanics, showing these great ways to traverse the level, also great graphics. It is a hell of a start to the game and also potentially the best track of the game as well once you get into the castle. Yeah, this game, okay, yes. we, we could, yeah, we could talk about music forever because I know Jason and I have our own personal favorites, but that game starts strong and never stops. It's just, it's insane. It's like, it's like your favorite band's best album where they just hit every note right and they have 10 perfect songs and every other album you've also liked, but you say, you know, taken as a whole, it's, you can't like it quite as much as this one. Did you album. guys know how to back, uh, walk, downstairs and upstairs backwards when you had it back in 91 yes just discovered accidentally totally right and then it just became from that point when we did when i did figure it out like playing with my brother yeah we were both like oh that's how we have to do it from now on totally (laughs) and and it it is almost like a strategic thing too especially when you get to some of like the stages with the medusa heads flying and stuff like that like you you kind of want to be in that position to make sure you can attack them and not have to like turn around and all that stuff. Um, yeah, we're going to kind of go all over this place and I'll try to walk through some of the levels, at least the stuff that, that stood out to me because some of these things might've stood out to me, uh, potentially a little bit more than you guys, but like also in that first stage, you notice like that HUD just is overlaid on the screen with the previous games. Like it actually kind of just be like a black bar so they could Mm -hmm. have a little bit more room or wouldn't be as demanding because they wouldn't have to like spread the graphics throughout the whole screen. Like Super Mario Brothers 3 does a similar thing. A bunch of, um, what was the game? Monsters, Monsters in My Pocket. Also, another Konami game does the same thing in the NES. But anyways, like th- th- that's kind of a weird thing because you find yourself walking behind your health bar at times. And that can sometimes impede your ability to see enemies. Not a lot, but it happens. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, oftentimes a lot of the grapple points would actually get stuck behind your item box. I noticed in some of the levels, especially the right. vertical, you would sort of say, wait, I'm not really sure how to progress here. And then you'd see the little flapping grapple bat <laughs> and it'd be behind your axe and you'd say, oh, okay, I got to jump up there and, and grab onto this thing. Is let me, let me ask you this, because I don't know if it would make sense to break down like every level in, in my notes and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm coming at this from a really weird angle because... This is previous to this. I've beaten Castlevania 1. I've beaten Castlevania 3. I've beaten Rondo of Blood. I've beaten the first castle in Symphony of the Night. I've actually been working my way through the 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 200% of the Upside Down Castle in that recently. But um, like I've in, in, in Castlevania Bloodline. So I've beaten all those games. And now I'm coming to this, having beaten all those games and experienced those. And coming to this... I'm noticing a lot of things that feel like unfinished. And maybe you guys can clear me up. Maybe I'm over, you know, overcritical, but like one of the things is the enemy the the death animations for the enemies seem real bad. Oh sure, like yeah, so you're just talking about the thing where um the enemy just turns upside down and falls off screen. Yeah, or or just like you they like 
blow up into like not even they blow up they like dis- disappear in a mist of like fire like the the little flame sprites yeah like the zombies like the zombies in other games I, I don't know if it was bloodlines or rondo of blood but they were like split in half like that wasn't just symphony right. of the night like that was there was actual like like real animation it wasn't just them bursting into flames like stuff was actually happening there sure um Less about being unfinished. Uh, like personally, like I said, I can't speak with a hundred percent certainty. But like my guess would be, uh, it just comes down to prioritization, for sure. And really, would be like, do we get the mode seven rotating room in, right? Or do yeah. we get like ten enemy death animations? And it just they're like, well, no, mode seven room's going to win for sure. Yeah, it's like, um, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> we have to show the second Genesis what this baby can do. <laughs> get, that, get that rolling room in. Well, well, yeah. I mean, and also to be fair, Bloodlines came out a couple years after, so they had the ability to maybe rethink some of that stuff and push the Genesis a little bit more. Yeah, I think. I mean, all launch games, especially for the sixteen bit eras, you know, always felt like these just amazing versions of games you had seen before, but presented in a way you never thought possible. But they always tended to have a few key things that would later become a staple in the mm-hmm. series. Uh, and I could see that, you know, like with um, with Castlevania, especially if it's in a later game, especially Rondo uh, and eventually Symphony, um, the way they treated animation ended up being a lot of the storytelling of those games. Right. Just because there was so much variety and stuff like that, which this didn't have. Uh However, if I may make a counterpoint, absolutely, yeah. The, this is to me one of the best examples, uh, especially in the 16 bit era, of the level design being a major storytelling and narrative element in the game. I mean, obviously, the, like there's no major story to the game, it's, it's not alone with you, it's not like a million pages of text. <laughs> um, but you can see from the beginning, like you said, about the garden and getting to the gates and eventually entering, you know, the castle, all that stuff, everything you see. Uh, and especially in the background, sort of reflects Great that. details. Yeah, that map that you see in between levels. And so you realize you can kind of follow along where you are as you get deeper and deeper into things. Mm-hmm. And that was something I don't think I noticed in my first playthrough. It definitely took a few. Uh, but I started to pay attention and realize, oh, wait, like they're, they're showing, you know, like a mountainous background on the map. And now you can see it. Uh, you're seeing you're entering that mountainous area as you go from stage two, you know, whatever it was. Um and that's when these, a lot of these games, because the fidelity was getting better, it, it started to feel more like a world that lasts like a series of tiles. I mean, Castlevania 3 has just some, some of the most ingenious use of uh, NES sprites ever imaginable. And I would love to talk to any of the technical team and just say, how, like, I don't even know how you guys made this happen because it's a miracle. But with Castlevania 4, they were just able to have this much broader palette in terms of the objects and the background details and whatnot. And there's little animations that we didn't even notice till playing it a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, just stuff that happens like outside of a window in some of the areas. It's just so neat. And it's all those little things that you would notice and say, wait a minute. Like what? Like what's going on over there? Like they, you know, they, there were no resources to throw those details in on an NES game. But here they just sort of had some wiggle room so they just kind of threw in whatever yeah i I think it it might just be a graphical taste thing because i'm i'm literally as we're talking i'm playing through the game again and i'm on stage two and i'm like looking at the like the parallax scrolling is really cool um but like everything looks just like paper cutouts you know what i mean it's and it's a huge nitpick and it's super not fair to because it's a 1991 super nintendo game but i think that was one of the things that just never really riffed with me was the the visual look uh of the game but it's more mo- mostly uh probably because i'm just didn't play it back in the day and i'm killing these zombies coming out of the ground and they just turn into a flame that floats right. up into the sky 
Yeah. Well, there's one thing you notice that certain areas. I want them uh, to cut in half. I want to see some blood. Come on, <laughs> Nintendo. I know that was Mortal Kombat hadn't come out yet and right. you get to their sales. <laughs> uh, but you notice there's a bunch of things I did notice that um, at certain parts, because you can use the whip, like you can do slow-mo whipping, you can do all this stuff. I think one of the reasons for that also might be is view act like this game pushes the Super NES at its early stage quite a lot. Totally. Considering that the processor in the Super NES like was you know was slower like uh, than the Genesis was, when you get a couple things on screen plus the parallax plus the transparencies and plus like doing eight way limp whip gymnastics, right. you can just watch that Super NES start to smoke. <laughs> and sometimes it's a strategy to just get through some areas and buy yourself a bit of reaction time as you sort of look around the screen. Um, and I bet you a lot of that was just saying, you know what, like this. The whip, the whip takes up like fifty percent of the processor. We oh, just gotta, yeah, yeah. we just have to cut up those animations. <laughs> yeah, like the whip animation is just kind of like taxing the processor, and it's you, you can see a couple fun tricks that they have in the game to make sure it doesn't get too nuts. Like your, I think it's this, it's a stage right before you get to Dracula, where you're running across a bridge and the bridge is falling apart, and every time the bridge falls apart, like a bat comes out behind it so you end up having a bunch of bats travel you know following behind you and then once it gets to like five bats once a new bat appears one just like flies up away from the screen so there's only five bats at one time on the screen totally yeah you can you can see them sort of like just coming to grips with the new hardware and they're using techniques and the graphics that they sort of use in castlevania 3 like with some of the more tiled uh backgrounds like in stage 2 1 with the, the the trees and whatnot they're less um this, like the tiles aren't as large, they're they're a little bit more repetitive than you would see in later games. So they feel more like you know uh, higher definition color versions of an NES game. But then on some of the other levels, they just start messing around with stuff like with the treasure room and whatnot, where you get suddenly you get some crazy use of slopes yeah. and so just deforming terrain. Yeah, uh, and you get like the the dungeon area, like uh, level eight. All right, all right. You're making you're making some good arguments here. I like this. Okay, <laughs> we thought a lot about this. <laughs> you go, you, okay, debate team is on right now, and you guys you guys are, are starting to to win me back on this. Um, there's yeah, there there are there's a lot of good things to be said about the graphics. And again, I think I'm just being like hypercritical, and it's one of those things where I just I feel like I've fallen in love with a couple other games in the series, and it makes it even that much like my eyes even that much more critical when it comes to this this game, but. Like I'm saying, I'm playing through this right now and I don't want to stop playing. Like I want to keep playing. It's still a, a lot of fun and it's still, you know, Castlevania um, in some of its purest sense. But um, I'm kind of curious, like Jason, do you have like a level that is your, this is the level, this is the level that I'm always going to like refer to. This is my favorite level in the game. It's just like got the best layout or the best enemies, the best challenge or whatever. Oh, absolutely. And it most certainly is the treasure room. Oh, yeah. Okay. It is stage nine. It's, yeah, it's the treasure vault. Great Um, track on that, that stage too. That's, that's my personal favorite. That's my star of the soundtrack. Um, Yeah. And it, it it takes a bunch of the existing concepts. It's the uh, first part in the game and really only part in the game that has segments where you have to chain whip from grapple to grapple. Why didn't they do more of that? They, I assume they thought it was an advanced technique, and it, it is. And even in that level, they only require you to do it one time. And then the other two occasions where it comes up, it's just to get to a little secret ledge. All right. So 
I think the grapples is some of the most fun that you can have in the game if you really get it down and you don't spend too much time swinging and then fall to your death. Um, yes. <laughs> but the this, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but for me, this game was really easy up to stage, I think I wrote down like stage seven. Like the game doesn't start until like stage six or seven, like that's when it's actually hard. Like I was flying through this and really the only time I was having problems is if I got like just randomly knocked back into a pit or something like that. It wasn't that big of a deal. Um, But when I started getting to stages seven, eight and nine, and even more so when you get to like stage a, like right before you get to Dracula, I think I was starting to, that's when I was started like sending stuff to you guys. Like the treasure room was cool in stage nine. Um, so actually, stage now was kind of like back to being better, but there was, I felt like there was just lots of like cheap one hit, you know, spikes or just there's points, especially in that, you know, stage A and, and B where you're needing to go and just either avoid stuff coming up from, I think it's stage B where that's where you're running across the bridge. And then there's like this circular spike thing that's starting from the bottom. You get to run your way the screen as stairs are falling down behind you and there's uh, a part where you then need to uh, like use your whip to grab onto a grapple that is rotating and you have to avoid enemies throwing axes at you and then you have to also swing up to it. I died like <laughs> so many friggin' times like just for no like I didn't die because it was like challenging. I just died because it was the mechanics were bad in that spot. Like it wasn't challenging. It was just unfair and not fun. Like I love a challenge, but this was just getting to the point where like you guys are making me really hate. You're really making me hate like Vampire Killer because that was like the song that was coming up on, I think it was like stage like A or stage nine or whatever. Yeah, but, stage A. And I was like, you guys are making me hate this song because of how many times I've heard it repeat over and over and over and over again. I need to get through this stage. By miracle, I did. Um, and it was cool to have all those callbacks. Like the gears were cool, like from the callback from Castlevania 3 and all that stuff. And I just, like, I literally wrote down bullshit. Like, I, that's, <laughs> that's what I wrote down is like, this is just, it's not fun. It's just like bullshit. And it was just a miracle that I got to the final stairs of Dracula. Just an absolute miracle. And thank for the love of God, even though it's staged like, like something dash three it's like b dash three or something like that or four it's a checkpoint it's a save point too where you can get a password so you can at least go back to that if you if you need to i don't know if this is making any sense no i i will say that you're 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 spot on i will not i can't be overly defensive of stage b2 which is the one with the rotating uh spike wheel and you have to climb up the stairs that are collapsing That, that that part's just bad it's well, it's a bit of it's definitely something that was designed to be difficult and anytime a designer kind of endeavors to make something difficult they always overdo it and i can speak from experience because mm-hmm. the way the thing you always learn about designing games is you are obviously more familiar than the player is so you'll always find it easier and then when you try to make something hard for yourself it becomes almost impossible mm-hmm. and that's definitely the part of the game Mm-hmm. where they were like man we find this game really easy let's make something that's hard for us because in my typical playthroughs uh i'll game over there easily 
it was just Once like over it's, and it's over rough. and over and over like to the point where like I was I streamed for I think this was yesterday I streamed for maybe like 45 minutes just on that part like yeah that, I, that part's rough it, it was just it was just getting uh ridiculous and for my track record of Castlevania games like one of the things that's so satisfying about those games and it's how I got through one and how I got through you know three and in, in Rondo of Blood in in Bloodlines is like you get to a point in the stage or you get to a point in the game, you're like, this is impossible. I'm never going to be able to get past this part, but you just do it again and again and you learn and you get better and you learn and you know what to expect and you get progressively better at this stuff. Like I've been reading this book, this is so off topic, but I've been reading this book, Peak, which is all about, like the start of the book, he talks about uh, most people can only learn up to seven or eight digits. Like if if I give you seven mm-hmm. or eight digits, like that's pretty much what people thought think is the barrier of what people can learn. But you know, through practice and like real good practice, you can actually this guy ended up learning like up to eighty something digits, like that he could just read off after he was just being read that stuff. Like that's what is super satisfying about Castlevania and Mega Man and these like eight bit games to me that you get to points that seem absolutely Actually, not really Mega Man. Those are kind of easy. But like these games that are hard, you get to a point where you think it's going to be impossible. But eventually, if you just if you don't give up, you will get better and you'll start getting to that point that you thought was impossible. And you'll get there without getting hit once. And you're like, all right, I got full health. Now I'm going to get this next part. And maybe I'll get like another part of the stage. Like I'll get to, you know, 7-2. And like, all right, I thought that was impossible. Okay, now I can blow I can blow through the beginning. I'm getting right to 7.2 or 7-2. And then I can just figure out this next part. And then you just eventually you overcome the the challenge of the game. But I just felt like at this point, like I'm not like getting better at it. Like it's just like cheap death over and over and over again. I feel like, I feel like Castlevania four is a metaphor for life, Kevin. Maybe it's like you think, you know, we assume that things are going to have a nice flow state up to a point and then life just starts throwing curveball after curveball. Yeah. That's what, maybe that's what, maybe that's what Oviano was, was going through. Maybe he was going through some stuff in his life. He's like, you know what? I think it's time to make this hard because life is hard. <laughs> and and the, maybe the other designers are going like, man, just chill out. Like yep. this is, what's with the spike wheel? Like whose idea was that? He's like, life is a spike wheel, son. Just, was it like that whole myth of the lost levels? Just like Miyamoto was depressed and that's why that game is super hard. And that's just, obviously not true. It's like, I, just you need to i need you to feel what i feel <laughs> uh, and, and this is again i, I have i've had a blast i love this game i really do even with like the flaws that i just mentioned like i i love it and i just thought you know there were a lot like a lot of this game is really easy like the bosses overall or you can just spam the hell out of them uh until you get to dragula you can just like whip them and you know you'll dodge some fireballs or something like that or some some knives or whatever they're throwing at you but they're mostly easy it is just kind of like the cheap man. I'm just like dying because I'm getting hit by stuff, or I'm running into spikes, or there's just like really cheap whip, like grapple deaths that that shouldn't really be a problem. Um, but again, I do like it. Yeah, and it, I, I think in your case, and I mean this is true overall. Like, it's unfortunate the spike comes so late and is so harsh. Mm-hmm. That that kind of ruins. Yeah, it's the a huge jump. It's a, it is a huge jump. It's really late and it's unexpected. Um, so yeah, I totally will agree with you on that. And then once you get over that little hump of uh, B-2, then you go into a nice little boss rush to kind of finish the game. Right. 
And I, I actually really like that part of the game. But that that was that was like stuff that I was able to. Again, it's just because like I've already, I I, I like that to a, a certain extent, but that's um, something that I think was like a mistake in like uh, Gun Vault was was a little bit of a problem that I ran into there. Even with Shovel Knight, uh, also ran into that problem there for some reason. I tolerated with this game, or these guys were just a little bit easier. But um, let's let's talk a little bit about that that final fight with Dracula. Um, so I do have a preface for that, Kevin, if you don't mind. Absolutely, go ahead. Did you grab the secret just before Dracula? Okay, let me tell you a story. So um, <laughs> I was I I was maybe in my third continue once I got to Dracula, and like I just got to the point where I was like, oh, like f this! Like I literally like you get to that part where you like respawn. I was like, screw this! I'm just gonna like this is what happened. Okay, so I originally got to that that first part where you get there and you're allowed to continue and all that stuff. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm just like, I had two guys left. I'm like, I'm just going to kill myself twice so I can get the password and I can go back to doing other stuff. I'll come back and I'll use the password to get back to where I was. So I jumped into the pit and like, I like, what the hell am I glitching? Like I'm stuck on something like I didn't fall into the pit. And then I eventually fall in and like I repeat it. And then I eventually get all the way to the left side of the screen, and that's when it starts dropping hearts on you. I'm like, what the what the hell is going on? That's amazing. And then because I I I didn't like know about this stuff, I I have I literally have the pieces still on my table of a ripped up post it note. So I have the stickiness like the sticky side of a post it note. I start putting like where I can walk on the screen. Like I start filling it in on my Uh, TV. That's great because I can't figure out how to get back up. Yeah. Because That's so funny. I'm jumping from like block to block and I can't jump high enough to get to the like the first platform. I'm like, what the hell? Again, I'm like confused. I don't know. Is this like a joke? Like you're like, they give you all this stuff and they're like, screw you. Like you're, you're going to die. Um, you can't actually use all this cool stuff that we just gave you. Um, but eventually, like, again, it's like walking up backwards by mistake. Somehow I was pressing up a little bit and then I start walking up invisible stairs. Excellent. And then I'm able to figure it out. And then, like, Dracula is super easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm really, like, that's an amazing story of figuring out yourself. That is amazing. That made my, that made my day. Well, I, I didn't, like, is this, I don't know if, like, this, because this is, this is why I don't watch speed runs. Like, because I don't know if people, people probably don't use that in a speed run anyway. I don't watch playthroughs of these games. And that's why I didn't watch your guys' stream past, like, where I've actually been to in the game. Because, this is cool stuff to discover, and I would have never known that, or I, I might not have even been able to be Dracula if I didn't know that. So I could like spam the crosses as I as I fought him. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a that's a a good thing to know of or not because it also made the boss fight kind of easy. Yeah, I, I I like it because not quite the same circumstances as you, but I did figure it out when I played it as a kid. And it's one of my top three favorite things I found in a game on my own. Just like, just like, did you do the same thing? Like, screw this. I'm just going to get a, like the password and go do something else. It was, well, it, it was born from dying at Dracula a lot for sure. It wasn't a weird frustration. It was a weird looking at the screen. There was something unsettling about it to me. because normally the way this screen would be framed is that you would have the walkway at the bottom and like the staircase should be making like a neat 45 degree angle across the whole screen. 
like I mean, this wasn't then like, this is when I was a kid. So I wasn't quite verbalizing that or internalizing that really well. I was just like, this screen is weird. Why do I start so elevated? Why is there this empty space? And it really bugged me. And so I started exploring and I just walked off the edge and did some random jumps and same kind of thing, like died a bunch of times trying to feel it out. But I mean, nowadays it would make an excellent case study for design because yes, it is really interesting because the staircase goes right up into your health bar. Yeah, it's it's the, not ideal. It's a vis- it is it's a neat visual design trick when you look we're actually looking at a screenshot right now just to 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 remember it correctly, but it is a really weird design element where they once you do it it makes sense. Yeah. Because you look and you go, of course, like it's such a great moody screen, but of course there's a giant platform down there. Like why wouldn't there be? And once you jump, you're like, of course there's a giant thing that rains hearts and wall <laughs> chicken on you. Well, I, I can't remember if there was if it was in Rondo or if it was in three, but I remember there being like a place where you can kind of like jump down to not to the left, but like almost like down into the right real quick where you could get some special items before going into it. But like before that, I was getting so frustrated because I was doing the the stair trick where I was going and getting a bunch of hearts, going back down the stairs, coming back up, getting a bunch of hearts, going wow. back down the stairs, coming back up, getting a bunch of hearts, and like making sure I had enough juice before I went in to go see him because the last thing that you want is to like, you know, get to and this is another thing talking about Dracula, like the second form, which never comes. Um but right. like I, I've been so like uh conditioned to think yeah, he's got 14 life bars. Like, it's not one <laughs> life bar. There's going to be 8,000 forms of this guy. Now I'm going to have to face him as Dracula, as a bat, probably as a dragon or whatever that thing was in Castlevania Three. I know, it's a giant purple bird guy in yeah. the background. Like, I'm going to have to face him a couple times, so I, I got to make sure I have enough hearts because the worst thing in the world, and like, again, I was streaming this stuff. Like, I, I threw my controller a lot, like, uh, <laughs> playing this game. But the, that, that, that was just kind of like a weird, like, I don't, I'm almost curious, like if they just thought people would eventually do that, like they will just eventually jump off the cliff trying to get their password and then they will be like, we're almost going to give them some relief. That, that's what I mean when I say that I, one of the reasons I love this game is because it does have this really cool narrative and it feels so different than the previous games. Like the fact that it has, I mean, you know, sort of inappropriate difficulty spike aside, um, the fact that it's sort of like this weird conversation between the designers and the player with how all the little tricks and uh, all the control that you have and whatnot, but then the fact that they're they said like they they probably did they played this and they went man that was like do you see what we put these people through like that was that was not cool at all like <laughs> B you know block B is just is just hell on wheels so uh, why don't we just put like a little secret you know wall chicken spawning. <laughs> device over here uh, because why not at this point they, des- they deserve it <laughs> i am a big fan of this dracula fight though because it, it it does something that i i really like um it's, a, it's like, a good teaching boss fight too like that's what i liked about it is like it you could learn how to beat him yeah yeah if that makes sense yeah but just in terms of presentation like the reprise of the first stage music Right. Just as the battle's finishing up, like when the lightning starts flying and he like reveals his true form, which it just changes his head. Uh, He kind of looks like the more Nosferatu look. But then that that original, that music from the first level, the beginning of your journey, 
You were pumped then. You're getting you're pumped now. Oh, that music's coming back. It's amazing. It's, it's really well presented. Yeah, like it, it, I guess because they finally have the fidelity to do it, but it's it's like the first time they actually reference visually uh, vampire movies. You know, like it yeah. looks like it. It kind of looks like to me like the um, Werner Herzog remake of Nosferatu, just with some of the just some of the weird, almost silent, uh, just moments that are just sort of surreal and haunting at the same time. And the whole sequence of you, when you fight him and then what happens at the end, uh, as short as that sort of is, I just remember it, it just, it felt, it was a cutscene. It felt like an in-game cutscene. It didn't just feel like, you know, big explosions fade to black. And then, you know, congratulations, the winner is you. It just felt like this really, uh, one of the first times I felt like the game had, progressed from the beginning everything that happened in the game had happened through the gameplay with the backgrounds and the character designs the, and the stages and all that kind of stuff and then here as you face dracula and you finally f- defeat him and you know like the window breaks and all that kind of stuff happens uh it feels like the game is actually telling a story and completing it but it's not copying out to a cutscene. it's not doing anything like that it is actually doing it all with in-game graphics and gameplay and it just felt so amazing that you were standing there with a whip and being your character, but you weren't just, um, you know, like you weren't just only whipping stuff. The the story right. was integrated with it. Yeah, I, I I I agree. I really did like the the boss fight. Just like you you guys were saying, and like I was saying, like it is, it's just like a really cool visual look. Like with the electricity, even though you have to watch it every single time. Like you know, like I wish you could just like get going because I've already faced you sure. fourteen thousand times. But <laughs> um, you know, eventually when you start learning the the pattern especially like the fire stuff the fire i had a lot of problems with because i couldn't figure out like the pattern until again magically it's like i think you just always want to be in the middle no matter what and just spamming those crosses and then kind of running away from the fire until they're both lined up and then hit them both with your whip and you're good to go um and then they're really not hard to get away from and like that third transformation, not even transformation, like when you see like the red, like lightning and like the red light start coming up and mm-hmm. that's when bloody tears starts playing. You're like, holy crap. Like this yeah. is like, it, it just is a super awesome mood. Almost like it's like an action movie, like putting on like the best track of the soundtrack and getting ready to just do an incredible thing. It, it, it felt super awesome, uh, which is a huge compliment because that's like, I don't know, to, to get that feeling, after you were so frustrated, like I was so frustrated with this game. Like I just need to get through this damn game for the episode and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to drop kick it and I'm going to throw it in the ocean. But, <laughs> Amazing. And, but it was like, that really did save it because it, like when bloody tears comes on and you finally, you know, defeat the boss. And again, because I was seeing like, he turns into bats. I'm like, great, here comes the gigantic bat. And I almost had like a sense of relief. It's like, Oh, that's it. It's over. Well, yeah. And it's, it's sort of going back to what we said before about like Super NES games or launch games of the era, uh, kind of like bringing things back to sort of slightly simpler formula, you know, before they sort of eventually expand again. Um, the fact that, you know, after, especially after Castlevania 3, which is just the weirdest, most difficult, insane, but also just visually, mechanically bizarre final boss fight with Dracula, the fact that it's just you and Dracula you know, toe to toe in like the most atmospheric room they could have possibly rendered. Uh, and everything is just about you killing a vampire. Like it doesn't feel like this other, this sort of offshoot of something. It's just like a classic vampire movie. 
And it just feels so great that it didn't veer off into like it's not like he you know turned into like an alien from Mega Man Two and then flew into a spaceship. It's yeah. just <laughs> once you kill Dracula, that's it. And Kirk Collada agrees with you guys. I, I did a huge disservice of not looking at this book a little bit more before. Holy smokes! All right, we got some breaking news here. Um, and this is the problem. I should have looked through this book, Kirk Collada of Hardcore Gaming One Hundred and One, the great Castlevania book. I'm thankful to have one of the like pre-banned copies before he had to put unofficial on it. Um, so you got we brought up in the the history segment that commercial, right? Yes. Here's the deal. All right. This is coming from, again, go pick up this book. It's worth every penny. Um, back before Super Castlevania 4 was released, a promotional video was made that showed the game during an early development stage with areas, enemies, and other things that uh, not found in the final product. Also note the overenthusiastic announcer uh, <laughs> battle across the bridge, then a room. Oh, my God. He did the same thing that I saw. Um the most interesting foe removed from the final game is pictured to the right, a snake-like creature who resembles the Medusa from the final game but can dig into the ground. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we were noticing that, too. We were like, that basically looks like a weird version of Medusa. And then, and then it started doing the digging thing. So that never, yeah, that there's was... nothing in the game that does that. Yeah. Oh, see, and it, okay. Yeah, and also, again, you, you mentioned the Japanese and U.S., differences where the Japanese version has crosses in it and stuff like that, which Yeah, there's censorship, there's blood, but also the typography in the game is different too. The the main UI typography is different. Oh, yeah. It's it's a more elaborate serif font. Sorry, designer. You should totally go buy this book, guys. Um also Castlevania Chronicles looks a lot like Super Castlevania. Interesting. Hmm. Um but I don't think Castlevania Chronicles is very good. Um hmm. okay, so yeah, you should go Pick it up. It's Hardcore Gaming 101 presents Castlevania. Very, very good. Should own it. Agreed. Right. Uh, so we, we get to the credits. The credits are great. The 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 credits song is very good. It's how we're going to end this show today. Um, but I think we, we need to still do the ranking of Castlevanias. Oh, that's where we're at, huh? Okay. So I'm going to give... I'm going to... We're going to talk about 8 and 16-bit Castlevania. So we got Castlevania 1 through 3. All right? 2 okay. doesn't count because we haven't done it on the show and it's bad. Um, what? That's like my number 2. Love we, Castlevania 2. We, we have Super Castlevania. We have Rondo <laughs> Blood. Uh, and, okay, this is this is only Castlevanias that have been done on the show. Castlevania, Rondo <laughs> Blood. Uh, and then we also have Bloodlines. And we also have Castlevania 2, Dracula's Curse, on Game Boy. Whoa, whoa, wait, isn't that Belmont's Revenge? Revenge? That's what I meant. That's no problem. You guys, you guys don't know. See, when I record past 9 o'clock, <laughs> my brain goes to, to mush. So, no problem. Um, all right. So I want, I want the three best Castlevania games from that list. We got Castlevania 1 through 3, Super Castlevania, Rondo of Blood, Bloodlines, and Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge for the Game Boy. So just talking about this 8 and 16-bit Castlevania games. Um, I don't know, Ben, you seem seem pretty confident with that Castlevania 2, so you're going to yeah. have to find something else. What, what do you think? Yeah, if I can't put the secret second-best Castlevania <laughs> game in there. Uh, okay, so number one, Castlevania 4. Number two, Rondo. Number three, Castlevania 3. That's mine. All right, all right. Jason, what do we got? Okay, so for me, it goes Super Castlevania 4 at number one. <laughs> uh, then I'm going to put uh, Castlevania 3 at two and Castlevania 2 Belmont's Revenge at three. 
All right. All right. Changing Needs. up a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes you got to have some portable power. And oh, yeah. Okay. So this is, a, this is a tough one because, of course, Super Castlevania 4 is fresh in my, my mind. Um, this is... This is a tough one because I haven't played a couple of these in a while too. But um, I think at the top has to be Rondo of Blood. I think that has to be mm. that is probably the best two D original style Castlevania game. Best soundtrack, best gameplay. I beat it, which seemed impossible. So I have <laughs> that for me, and it costs two hundred dollars. So I have a lot of factors in there. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's available on the Wii Virtual Console. Grab it before it's not there anymore. Um, you can still play it on your Wii U through backwards compatibility. The uh, number two would probably be Castlevania Three. Again, I think for me this is weird though because I think I don't. I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to be uh, like judgmental, but maybe you guys think a lot about the mechanics of the games too. Where I'm like, yeah, the music's really good. <laughs> like that's almost my biggest. Oh sure, that's but, fair. I would nothing wrong with that. I but, would probably say if you had to nitpick, you should probably say like the Japanese version of Castlevania Three because oh, totally, totally, because everything is. Best music and well, half damage. <laughs> well, that's what we did. That's what we did on the show. So that's, yeah. that's of course, uh, what I'm referencing. All right. So we'll go uh, Akumajo Densetsu, number two. Uh, again, Rondo Blood, number one. And I think for me, dude, I like absolutely love Bloodlines. I think Castlevania Bloodlines is a, is a super underappreciated game that more people should play. And it really pushes the crap out of the con. Uh, the the Sega Genesis like Konami really was doing some great work with that. Oh yeah. And um and also with uh Contra on there, hardcore was really, really great. And a uh, awesome soundtrack too. So hopefully they release that on Dracula Best Two or Three, I should say. But you know, it's it's okay. I, I think we can all have disagreements and they're all really good games, which is the best part. Absolutely. And one yeah. of these days we'll do two. And then we'll have you on here, Ben, and we'll talk oh. about Castlevania too. Oh god, I love that game so much. I have so many stories about that game. I know, I know it's, I know it's not right, but <laughs> it's, I'm just, it's just the way it is. Uh, and and I think maybe the last thing I want to mention is like I I think these games lose some of their, like they just lose some of their mystique if you play them on the virtual console with save states and stuff. I know that's like an easier way to play it, and we'll get you through it, but the the unbelievable satisfaction of finally being able to beat a sage finally being able to beat the third form of dracula is something those are some of my favorite gaming memories it's why i still i love this franchise so much and especially these these old ones and i'll still go back to i'll still boot up you know bloodlines i'll still boot up castlevania 3 i might not go all the way to the end but um those achievements are like at the top of my all-time gaming achievement list like nice. in my head an achievement thing popped up even if it didn't on the, <laughs> on the screen of the monitor that's what counts yeah and i the other thing too is that um because castlevania like the the classic ones have that great and sort of bizarre uh, password system to me there's something about everyone had their own collection of those passwords right whether it was written in a manual or your own sketchbook or stuff like that and to me there's a special joy about everyone having their own code like i would draw them out 
methodically or eventually you just go by the time the night was done you were sick of writing down passwords so you're just coming up with shorthand for xx you know mm-hmm. whatever candle candle uh and i find just like with Mega Man games it's actually a lot of fun to have your own versions of that because there are multiple variations of those passwords depending on what you have and all that kind of stuff and those i love i don't know i love those i love how like frictionless those weird passwords were because you don't um uh like you'll never lose a save file if you still have a that piece of paper from That's 1991 true. you still know how to get back to that stage oh i love yeah I, i'm like sorry i'm looking at blow lines too like in, in, in kurt's <laughs> book and i'm like yeah i totally love this like just like the story like it's actually when the story started really mattering in castlevania as well like there's lots of story in that game well like, yeah they went deep into they went like real deep into like classic vampire lore right. and things like that and all the worldwide uh, especially european stuff Oh man, Castlevania, the Castlevania puzzle game. Maybe we'll do Castlevania puzzle encore of the night for the next game. A nice match three. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> I need to, one day I'll have to tell you about my weirdo story about buying Castlevania one for Game Boy. Oh yeah. We're going to be coming back. I don't know if we'll do that on the show, but we can absolutely talk about more Castlevania uh, down the road. As I mentioned before, there are a couple other episodes you can go back to if you're just starting to check out Back in My Play where we cover all those previous Castlevania games that we just decided to to rank. No love for Castlevania 1, although that is also super good. Maybe check out Versus Castlevania as well if you can find one of those machines on the planet. Um, I think this is a good place to stop because I think my brain is not working anymore. And it's like 9.40 for you guys, and I want you guys to get home. So... Uh, Let's do this. As we wrap up, don't forget that we have a great Patreon-exclusive segment. So if you're a Patreon, continue to hang out. Uh, if you're not, again, I mentioned it earlier before, but it means so much if people do kind of step up and help support the show. We've had some people step off, step off, um, stop supporting the show just because, you know, you got to keep in mind, like some people got to pay the bills. And, you know, uh, hopefully when some people aren't able to support the show, other people will step up to kind of, uh, help out and help me produce this show as regularly as possible because it takes a lot of time, as I said, and uh, it is kind of the thing that gets put to the side. And I only produce shows if I know they're going to be a badass episode like this one. So you're only going to pay for episodes that are really great and things that uh, continue to bring the energy that back in my play is known so well for. But uh, before we do wrap up, I want you to also make sure that you're following Jason and Ben. So um, Jason, before we do wrap up, where can people follow you? What's the best place that they could go to to stay up to date on what you're doing and also for the cool stuff that's going on at Household Games? Absolutely. Yeah, you can follow me at Jason Canham and you can follow our studio, Household Games, at, at HH Games Inc. And uh, yeah, no, uh, as for us right now, we're still hard at work on our first title. We still haven't announced it, so it's still secret, and we're going to be working on it for another little while until we have it just ready to show off. Awesome. But uh, in the short term, coming up, um, I'm excited to say, so on October 8th, 2016, uh, we're going to be doing a charity marathon for the Able Gamers charity. Awesome. And we're going to be doing a 24-hour Donkey Kong Country marathon. Holy smokes. Like original Donkey Kong Country, like one, two, and three? Plus uh, Returns and Tropical Freeze. All right. We're going to do all five games. Uh, we're going to play through them all. Um, I insist that we do at least 102% run of Donkey Kong Country <laughs> 2, and there'll be a 103% run of Donkey Kong Country 3, of at least. 
And the other games, depending on time, we might just do straight run-throughs or we might do 100% clears. But, uh, yeah, it's it's planned to be – it'll be announced like on our Twitter page. We'll be announcing it uh, very shortly, if not already, by the time this uh, airs. And, uh, yeah, it's for the Able Gamers charity. Uh, we're big supporters of them. We are currently working on our game, and we're working on making it an absolutely accessible game from the ground up. Awesome. Uh, we are working with some fantastic experts. And, uh, yeah, we are going to be making a game that's going to be right for everybody. That's really important to us. And they have an event coming up, like I said, October 8, 2016. Uh, we'll be talking about it a lot. Uh, I'll be putting some links on our Twitter. And, like, yeah, we'll be uh, taking donations for the Able Gamers charity and playing a ton of Donkey Kong that day. It'll be really fun to watch, probably especially as it goes later on in the day, I, I imagine. And, yeah, and if you guys don't, don't see any of that stuff um, or for some reason or another you don't end up following Jason or Household Games, I'll also retweet the hell out of that stuff so you guys can see that and watch a bunch of Donkey Kong Country. And you guys can – there's just a real negative attitude towards Donkey Kong Country these days, guys. you got to try to reverse that a little bit. Show people oh, what makes those games so special. Gladly. I will gladly step up and do that. They're some of my favorite games and for sure. So, Benjamin, the last uh, week, I guess what's uh, – Anything else that, that people should keep an eye out for? Of course, you are on Twitter at Benjamin Rivers. And uh, I guess, you know, you're still doing some update stuff for Alone With You, but potentially on to uh, the next thing. Or do you, do you kind of continue to work in Alone With You for a little bit? There's definitely still some some life in the old girl yet. We got uh, actually there's a patch coming out uh, for Vita soon that I'm just wrapping up oh. to submit and stuff like that, and some and just some addressing some things based on feedback. So those always support post launch. Um, but yeah, please follow me on Twitter because I'll be talking about that and maybe showing off some secret things over the next couple months. Secrets. Got, got some secret things planned. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, you should be following both those guys just because they're always tweeting out cool stuff. And if you just want to follow some awesome indie game devs that are also talking about lots of, you guys are both always talking about retro game stuff. So if you're listening to the show, you're probably going to like what they have to say on Twitter as well. And you can go to BenjaminRivers.com where you can also get some some more, like see some awesome artwork for Alone With You. Mm-hmm. And, 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 sorry, go and ahead. yeah, if you uh, depending on when this airs, you know, this will this will make sense. You'll actually Friday. be able to get the uh, on the humble bundle. There's a humble bundle, game maker bundle. Yes, which includes game maker game making tool set. Uh, includes home at a certain tier, and if you pay, uh, I think it's fifteen bucks US for the bundle or more. You also get the source code for home, so you actually get my project file, so you can see how I made that game and see all the duct tape in there and all the cobwebs that have been collecting in the corners of all the weird things I had to hack together. I, so, I splurged and, and got the $15 bundle. I know, man. That's, it's a big ask, I know. It is, it is. It is. Um, I, I don't know if you guys remember this. And this is like the last thing. It was probably back in 1990-ish. There was a, a program that was share where it was a demo that was a game maker back then that you could like make like vertical shooters and stuff like that oh my god I'd- i th- i think i know what you're talking about i can't remember the name of it but i remember getting all that sort of stuff like getting access to whatever free shareware stuff you could and i i'm i mean that's when i was downloading mod trackers and learning how to program 
terrible techno music on stuff in DOS. So like, uh, yeah, this <laughs> this had like things you could drag and drop and make your own games. I can't remember if it was on our Mac or if it was on our sweet Pentium one hundred, but um, <laughs> I'll I'll. I'll doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, make sure that you're following both those guys. Please go to uh, not only Back in My Play, but check out uh, fitcast.network where you can see um, a great new in-depth video review of the 8-Bit Doe SFC 30 gamepad where you can kind of get a little bit of a taste of the new video offerings that are going to be going up there. I just shot some segments on... Um, bootleg video game soundtracks today, uh, how to spot those and how to potentially morally pick those up and feel okay about it. <laughs> and because like, as I'm looking at, where is it? Where to go? I'm, I have a, you know, what is it? Uh, Portrait of Ruin, ah. the soundtrack for that. Okay. But it's like $150, but yeah. some guy from China is selling it for $20 and it looks like the same thing. Yeah, they're Ty- they're Taiwanese releases, so they're they right. are legally licensed, just not for sale in other territories. So oh. it's a gray area. You okay? So you're already you've already watched the segment then that I haven't recorded yet. <laughs> Spoilers, guys. All right, never mind. Oh, crap, not even going to do it. <laughs> no. All right. Well, anyways, uh, you can check out all that stuff out and at Kevin Larrabee at Back in My Play on Twitter, also Instagram at Kevin Larrabee on there. There's some retro video game stuff going on. And um, again, I, I just want to reiterate, thank you so much to all the the people that download the show, whether you're a Patreon supporter or not. If you download the show, if you talk about it, whatever, that means a lot because. It, means you think that this is kind of worth your time to listen to. So thank you so much for for doing that. And next week, we're going to be coming back with the first of two, a huge two-parter on just memories of the Super Nintendo from a lot of people that you've heard on the show. And that's going to be great. And then after that, I believe is going to be another Super Nintendo game. I don't have it locked in just yet, but I think it might be Super Punch-Out. I, Whoa, I've excellent. never played Super Punch Out. Oh, excellent! I need to. It's it's uh it's it's a weird game, but we'll figure it out, and I'll let you guys know about that on Twitter. So if you want to play before the episode comes out, uh, do that. And I'm going to try to get these episode announcements out earlier, so that way you can also submit. That's one of the big things I want to do going down the road is get some more like listener memories and feedback and stuff, so we can read that on the show and get your input as well, because it's excellent. way more fun that way. Um, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join me. You should get back to making your own games. Oh, we, we definitely will be. I'm done. I'm old hat by now. Getting done. I'm just, <laughs> no one's going to play my game anymore. I'm already out. I'm taking vacation. Make something like Ultra Dungeonvania 5. Oh, man. <laughs> Imagine that. I make the real sequel to Super Castlevania 4, the one yeah. you've always been waiting for. Yes, but with more, with more feelings and more elements (laughs) awesome awesome all right guys that's going to do it for this episode of back of my play we will see you next time here's some more music from super castlevania 4 patreon stick around after the music great stuff for you coming up